ask my daughter who my favorite superhero is, she will tell you that you that it's Thor. Because she likes Thor. If you ask her again, she'll tell you it's Iron Man because she likes Iron Man. But a few weeks ago, we, she actually got to see a movie um, with my favorite superhero in it, and that happens to be Spider-Man. Spider-Man is my favorite super... You, are you fans of Spider-Man? Spider-Man fans? Spider-Man fans out here? Okay, Spider-Man fans. All right, we've got some Spider-Man fans in the building. Good. I love... Spider-Man. In fact, when I was in high school and I was working at the grocery store, I worked at a Piggly Wiggly um, for about seven years. I worked at a little Piggly Wiggly in Richmond Hill. And um, there at the store, we would get um, on one rack comic books. Once a month, the amazing Spider-Man would show up in the comic book rack. And I was always the first to grab the newest edition of The Amazing Spider-Man because he was my favorite. I love the story of Peter Parker and his life as both a teenager and a superhero. Uh, Peter's life was sort of like an escape for me. I could relate to his character. And besides that, who wouldn't want super strength, the ability to scale walls with your bare hands, and of course, spider sense. I mean, superpowers are where it's at, am I right? Am I right? Okay. Well, when I read this week's text, I couldn't help but think of Spider-Man. Now, that might seem strange at first, so let me explain a little bit. You see, for a time during Spider-Man's career, nobody really knew exactly who Spider-Man was or what Spider-Man might be up to. People across the fictionalized city of New York were all asking and were all wondering if he was a hero or if he was a villain. You had factions inside of the city, in fact, that thought he was a good guy, that he was on the side of justice and righteousness. And then you had the police in the city who said, no, Spider-Man's a vigilante. He's dangerous. Stay away from that man. Then you had this large group of people who had no idea about Spider-Man, whether he was good or bad or somewhere in between. They were all asking, who is this man? Who is this man? That's the question that's been driving this entire sermon series. We've been looking at the Gospels of Matthew and John, and like so many throughout history, we are asking again, who is this man named Jesus, and what is he up to? Who is this man that, that meets Satan in the wilderness and rebuffs his temptations? Who is this man that questions Nicodemus in the dark, that speaks to the Samaritan woman, that heals the blind and raises the dead. Who is, who is this man, this Jesus? In the text you heard read this morning, you hear about Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Now, triumphal uh, doesn't have anything to do with conquering. In fact, it has to do with what the Romans called a great big parade. You know what the Romans called a great big parade? They called it a triumph. And so, of course, Caesar would parade through the streets of Rome in a triumph. And so Jesus' entry, the triumphal entry, is really a parade of people into the city of Jerusalem with Jesus in their midst riding on the back of a donkey or a colt, a beast of burden at the very least. 
Meanwhile, people all around are waving palm branches like we waved this morning and shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Yet even among the shouts of praise, the shouts of triumph, the shouts of adoration, you can hear the people of Jerusalem wrestling with just who this Jesus is. Even though they welcome him into the city with shouts of Hosanna, perhaps even with hopes and dreams and expectations of what was to come in the background, they still ask the question, who is, who is this man named Jesus? Who is this As David Lowe says, who is this one hailed by peasants and lepers and cripples and prostitutes and day laborers on the road as the Messiah? Who is this who though every inch a country hick and a peasant yet rides into the city like a king would ride into a city? Who is this man whose devoted followers would soon turn on him as the disciples do? His friends deny him and crowds accuse. Who is this who is tried by both the religious and the political elite and found not just wanting but threatening an enemy to the establishment? Who is this who is dragged through the streets of Jerusalem and hauled to the execution grounds? Who is this who is hung on a cross and abandoned? And forsaken, who is this man? That must, that must have been the question all through the chaos of that last week of Jesus' life. But isn't that the question that we've all been asking? Isn't that the question we've been asking all along in this sermon series? Who is this man named Jesus? Think back over the sermons from from this Lent. In each text, someone is wrestling with who Jesus is. First, it's Nicodemus who meets Jesus in the dark with questions about who he is and what he's about. Next, it's the Samaritan woman at the well who is forced to consider just who Jesus is as he tells her whole life to her and offers her water, living water, that only he can provide It's the question that the blind man, who is this man? It's the question that the blind man is asked to answer by the Pharisees. That's the question that those gathered at Lazarus' tomb are left with as they see a dead man brought back to life. And it's the question that the writers of Matthew and John want us to take very seriously. Who is this man? named Jesus. They want us to ask that question because they know that the way you and I answer that question can radically reorient our lives. It can radically change our lives. The way we answer that singular question, the way we answer who is this man named Jesus has the potential to change everything or do nothing. Or do nothing. It's all in how you answer the question. Because if Jesus is who he says he is and did what so many say that he did, then that changes everything. 
If people really are born to new life in Christ, set free from their past sins, healed from their blindness and disease, and even given new life through Jesus Christ, then that changes everything. At least it should. At least it should change everything. The problem is you and I are tempted to write Jesus off as something other than what he truly is. Like the people of Jerusalem, it's easier to call him a prophet instead of a Messiah. It's easier to call him a teacher or a character with high moral standards that help him stand out from everyone else. It's easier to do, to do that than to say that Jesus is Lord of all and King of kings. We are tempted, you and I, to treat Jesus like a fairy tale, aren't we? Let's be honest for a second. We are tempted to treat Jesus like a fairy tale that we love to hear about as a child and come into the sanctuary waving palms, but when we get older, really has very little to do with who we are and who we're becoming. We are tempted, aren't we? To make Jesus less radical than he truly was. We are tempted to make Jesus in our own image, to tame him so he's a little bit more palatable and a little more convenient, a little easier to get around. That's why I love that the cross moved throughout the sanctuary during Lent. I hope you were inconvenienced by it. Because the truth is Jesus is sometimes inconvenient. Am I right? And that sometimes the cross that Jesus is headed toward confronts us, confronts our lives, who we are, and what we're about. Very rarely, truly, very rarely, are you and I willing to consider just who Jesus is and just how radical his message really was because it's easier to make Jesus into something else than it is to deal with the reality of his presence in our lives. Because knowing just who Jesus is and just what Jesus is about can be inconvenient. Just knowing who Jesus is and what Jesus is about can be challenging to our our deeply held notions and neatly constructed images of who God is and what God is doing. Welcoming Jesus for who he is as King of Kings and Lord of Lords is something entirely different altogether because it challenges every assumption that we might have about what power and authority looks like in this world. Welcoming Jesus as a king, though, who enters triumphantly into the city is still much easier than welcoming a Jesus who dies for others, who takes on others' pain, who takes on their suffering and their agony and their sin and our sin and our pain and our agony and our struggle and our strife. So again this morning, in this text that we love to celebrate through 
Matthew 21, 1 to 11. This text that we like to wave palm branches during. This text reminds us again that we are left with more questions about Jesus than we have answers when we're truly confronted with who he is and what he's about. So who is this man that we welcome with shouts of Hosanna but will die on a cross? This is Jesus. The one we confess died not in order to make it possible for God to love us but rather to demonstrate that God already does love us and that God's love is our only hope in this world, in this life, and in the life to come. This Jesus, this Jesus is the paradigm of God's action in the world whose story comes to a climax this week during Holy Week in order that our story, our lives, might begin anew and afresh with the hope and the promise of a good ending. My prayer for you this week, my prayer for you throughout this holy week, is that you might hear again the story of Christ's suffering death and ultimately his resurrection, so that you might understand a little bit more just who this Jesus is, just what he's up to, and just what he's done for you. I pray that if you have time this week that you would read back over the stories of Nicodemus and the woman at the well, the story of the man born blind and the story of Lazarus, and see how those stories relate to your own story. How Jesus met you just where they were, in the midst of their hurt and their pain, in the midst of their everyday ordinary life. And I pray that you would join us next Sunday here in this place to sing and to shout and to lift our hearts to the one that the grave could not hold and the one who death could not defeat. But before we get to the tomb and an empty grave, we have to walk past the cross and decide for ourselves just who this man is. Would you join me in prayer? God, we come to you this morning asking for you to reveal yourself to us asking for you to strip away all of the things that we've used to hide you, to tame you, to make you less radical. Asking you to reveal yourself truly to us. That we might live as your disciples, as your faithful followers in this world. Lord, we need your strength in these hours. That as we gaze upon your face and upon the cross, that we might find strength in weakness and in death resurrection. 
Help us, O oh God, to have the eyes of faith throughout this week and throughout every day of our life that we might love you more deeply and love this world which you loved. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.